and welcome to Enter the Fold, a Shadow and Bone podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host who has read the books. And I am Mandy Kay, your host who has not read the books after the first Shadow and Bone book. Before we get into it, I did just want to mention that I did finish the season last night. <sighs> and I got I'm... some texts from you today. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this podcast because I definitely need to go through it all. And I don't, it was so different than what I was expecting. And so not the books that, but also the book, uh, I don't know if I like it. Oh, It's so hard to divorce it from the books. I can completely understand that. So I'm excited to see what you think of some of it. Okay. Um, well, all of it, but for certain parts more than others. Sure. I have not watched past episode two. Um, it's hard to stop at the end. I imagine it will be harder in future episodes than it was today. Because it kind of felt like they, and it, it didn't have a cliffhanger ending, right? Like it just mm-hmm. kind of, I was expecting, it was building up to this moment and I knew that he was going to say some dickhead thing and then it was going to be over and it, and it was over. So yeah, like it was finished. So it, I was good not immediately going on to the next one. But when I sat down to rewatch it three times, three times, I tried to start like restart episode two and episode three started. <laughs> yeah. Netflix really wants you to keep binging. And I was like, yeah, some, the universe, Netflix wants me to watch episode three and not rewatch episode two. But I really needed to rewatch episode two before we talked about it. So I will I say did. after episode three, personally, I'd be OK with you just watching the whole thing. After like, we talk about episode after three. After we talk about episode three, yeah. Because okay. like there's really only one big reveal this season, I guess. And that happens in, in episode three. Oh, well, now I'm intrigued because nothing has been screaming there's a big reveal coming no it wouldn't because they cut out all the foreshadowing for you <laughs> oh wait, caitlin has thoughts about this which if, i guess we will talk about next week if you've listened to our spoiler episodes you know how i feel about that <laughs> all right um i never did go back and listen to your spoiler episodes well, no don't the book. oh don't no 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 you can't rachel oh, okay. and i talked about all seven books oh, I, we spoiled right. everything okay um and now I'm like, I don't even know if, like, I don't want to cut Rachel out. I like having her on as a guest. It's, it's We do, we have fun. But like, what even are spoilers now after this? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in the future. No one knows. The writers know, not me. Interesting. I think it would be fun for, if Rachel's up for it, for you and Rachel to do a... Yeah, where we just um, like bash all the differences. That would be actually a lot of fun. Get it, get it all out of our system. Well, I wasn't going to word it that way, but, you know, a reaction to season two as two fans who have read the entire series. That's fair. That's fair. Like, that would probably be fun for the other book readers and something I cannot partake in. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I wanted to throw out there, to be fair, I haven't Googled extensively on this. I just sort of did a brief look around. There were things in this season that I swear they pulled from King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, the, the final two books, that previously I had. Netflix had not bought the rights to so I don't like there are things in this episode that I'm going to bring up that feel inspired by at the very least and I don't I haven't heard that they did buy the rights to them so I'm not sure what is happening there I probably should not google extensively to see if I can find out the answer for you because I will probably get spoiled yeah true if anyone knows let me know and I'll try to do some more looking into it but it it's weird like, cause I don't know, I don't know where the line is drawn there of what they can do without causing an issue, a rights issue, if if they don't have them. Right. Maybe they do and they just didn't tell anybody. Did they buy the rights to the whole series or did they literally just do the original trilogy? When they did, so Eric Hesser, the showrunner, when he made his pitch to Netflix, Netflix only owned the rights to the Shadow and Bone trilogy but his pitch was with the Six of Crows duology and they agreed with him on his pitch. So they bought the rights to the Six of Crows duology and the Lives of Saints and I believe the uh, Book of Thorns or whatever that one's called. 
um, which are two like novellas that are okay. supplemental material. Got it. And the language of thorns, that's what it's called. Um, but they had not at the time of season one, anyways, bought the rights to King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, which is the final sort of duology in the Grisha verse. Interesting. And, I, and but literally, there's a plot. There's like a little side plot in this season that is straight out of uh, King of Scars. Huh. So, I don't. I don't know. I and I. I genuinely don't remember if the character that's involved in that side plot was ever even mentioned in Shadow and Bone, or or like. Siege and Storm or Ruin and Rising. So, I don't know. Okay. I got nothing. Hopefully our listeners can reach out and help with that. Who knows? That's not what we're talking about today. That is true. Today we are here talking about episode two called... How do you say that word? (laughs) Rusalier. Rusalier. Did they say that word in this episode? No, I don't think they do. Okay. Did you Google it? I did not. Okay. Um, because I had some trepidation after Googling last week's title. Yeah, that's fair. Um, since it did come from the third book, and I was like, well, who the fuck knows where they're pulling things from now, and I just should stick to my own lane. <laughs> to be fair, this one would not have caused you any problems. Okay. Well, what does it What does it mean? The Rusalia is the name of the sea whip. It, it's Ru- oh. Rusalia. Okay, that makes perfect sense yeah um Rusalier was written by nick colbertson and directed by bola ogun um, director of episode one did they do that last season too where directors did sort of two episodes together i think they did or was that a different show that we covered maybe eh, who knows i i know that we've definitely seen uh bola's name before yes and i suspect we'll see it again so who knows? I kind of like when they do group episodes by the same director together like that because they feel smoother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and since this episode, like there was literally no time between episode one and episode two. Like we picked up with Elena and Mal in Sturmhorn's office. Yes. On his ship. Like it was, they probably filmed it all together. But before we get there, we have the title card. Just to have complete role reversal here because usually it's me skipping the title card, which I just like because it's a barrel and then the knives and the bullets and the bomb. No waffles, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I wasn't sure what it was, if it was a barrel like or like some big like barn door. I just knew it was this big wooden thing. It's got to be a I, barrel. I did comment uh, in my, my notes, knife, gunshot, bomb. I like it. So yeah. I did catch all of that. Very cool. And then we have um, Sturmhund not knowing who Mal is, which is the best running gag through this episode. Oh, it is. It's so good. Uh, I love it. I don't even know who you are. Who are you? Yep. <laughs> um, I also really like that in this scene, um, it, you know, he tells her that that he's not going to turn them over to the Fjordans, and she's like, you're not. And he's like, saints, no. Wait, is that offensive to say in the presence of a living saint? <laughs> yes. And I just cracked up. I cracked up. This this guy, I he's so damn likable. I don't know anything about this dude. But he's likable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. I, you know what? I'm going to jump ahead. Okay. In our whole format and say, I've just said Sturmhund in general is the MVP of this episode. Because th- in this episode, particularly, they got him spot on. Okay. All right. But we That's can, why we, you didn't even have to think about it. Yes. We can argue about it later, though. Okay. I also really, really loved his reaction to Alina saying she wants to tear down the fold. Mm-hmm. Like, that was enough immediately for him to decide, I am not going to sell her to the highest bidder right now. I'm going to help her do this thing. Do you have any thoughts as to why he might feel that way? No. Um, and I have another question that okay. may tie into that. I'm not sure. Because then his reaction about helping her is adventure, danger, money. I'm in. And I'm like, where does the money come from in this scenario oh and right? like mentioned that the king of ravka would give him some good money for getting her back there and, to, and helping to take down the fold and all that oh that's what she meant okay okay yeah. got it yeah i couldn't i couldn't figure that out i was like we just decided he's not gonna turn her over to someone he's going to help her so how is he getting money but that makes sense i just missed it both times apparently mm-hmm I can only assume that if the fold comes down, 
it will allow him to make even more money. I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, they've given us nothing else about him, so. That's fair. Although now I know that he likes gadgets and inventing things. Yes. So. Um, before we move on from the scene, I do want to say, obviously, they called him a private, and he said privateer, and it was fabulous, perfect, wonderful. Uh, when watching through, like, this episode and the next couple, my, with my sister, she kept calling him a pirate, and every time I would go, privateer. <laughs> I liked that running gag in this one, too, because, and I guess it really comes from the first episode as well, because multiple times somebody would call him a pirate and he would say I'm a privateer and like in this one Mal's like I don't know the difference yeah and then like he asks Alina again I don't what's the difference and finally we get the answer in this episode mm-hmm. right where where Stormhund is like sorry Sturmhund is like I have a license and I'm like oh so he's just a legal pirate <laughs> yeah historically speaking the difference between a pirate and a privateer is that privateers were hired by a country uh, like by a government to target specific other pirates or a different country but doing the exact same thing that pirates do right right got it okay uh and then we get another fun bit of Sturmhund not knowing mel's name because we have the sun summoner and what did you say your name Ah, guest of the sun summoner love it yeah it's fun it's fun and then uh mal and alina get a bunk with the pirates well the privateers. Right. Yep. And then we cut to another dream. And uh, Alina's wearing her black kefta in this dream. And I'm really glad that we're going through her whole season one ro- wardrobe because it was very pretty. I, I like the way she looks in the <laughs> kefta. Yeah. And I'm glad we get to see it. Yes. And that should have been my first hint that this was not her dream, but his. But I didn't pick up on that. Like I knew she was wearing the black kefta, mm-hmm. but I was like, well, we saw her have multiple dreams slash visions in the first episode. So obviously this is her. We just saw her going to bed. This makes sense. But then he's the one who starts awake. It's great. Do we think that, but we, I mean, we think she was really there though, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think they were probably both in each other's dreams. Um, kind of like the way Ray and Kylo Ren were in Star Wars, right? They were both, seeing each other even though they what weren't a in the comparison same place. it was the only one i could come up with off the top of my head that quickly <laughs> no i agree. um yes but yeah if if this had solely been kerrigan's dream she wouldn't have been so against him and she was very very against him my favorite part is when she says i'm not wearing your color ever again takes off her black kefta and has a black dress on underneath right that was fabulous and nonsensical and i loved it yep (laughs) well i think again that even shows that this is his dream maybe yeah like it started from him instead of starting from her like um i don't know i i really like the scene i think this actually may be my favorite scene in the episode oh really i thought yours was going to be something different i also like the scene i think it's a really good like i do think they're just rehashing everything that they've already hashed so I, kind of but i but th- they are so good together that it doesn't really matter yeah yeah no they really are but i love how vulnerable he's being here like it's under the pretense of telling alina that this is what you're feeling but when in reality it's what he's feeling right and then he moves on into all of the loss that he's had over the years and how lonely it is being someone with his power and his longevity. And, I mean, he's I mean, using I, it to manipulate her. Like, I don't... F- he is in some way, but I do also think he is genuinely being vulnerable here. But I, I think love... he's being boo-hoo, I'm evil and sad. And <laughs> Well, that's exactly what Alina thinks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like, the, the absolute... Oh, I'm not even sure the word that I'm looking for. Like, the venom that drips from her, her words... The way that she says, a wound that won't heal. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, it's beautiful. It's great. It was fantastic. I, I, just, I really liked this scene. Um, I'm not sure it is my favorite, but it it's up there. It's definitely, after we talk about everything, I'll, I'll tell you if it's still my favorite, but it's, it's good. When we get to what I think your favorite is, I will tell you. And then you can okay. tell me if I'm wrong. 
Okay. Um, I, yeah, like, honestly, I thought a lot, again, or like I just said, I thought their conversation was kind of unnecessary, but they're so good together yeah. that it, it felt necessary. But it's also interesting, though, that to push push towards the end of the episode a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Like, he apparently doesn't know that she's alive either, even though they have this conversation in his dream. Yeah, and then at the end of the dream, Alina says, you're already dead. And so she doesn't know that he's alive. And the thinking that of him not knowing that she's alive, like, he must, though, because they, I don't know. It seems weird. It does. Yeah, it definitely like, seems why weird. would he think she was dead? Why would he be doing all this if he thought she was dead? I don't think he thinks she's dead. I can kind of see Alina, like, pulling the wool over her own eyes on him being alive. But I don't see him thinking she's dead. Well, they wrote it that way because at the end, he's like, so you are alive. That's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, we move on to uh, the waking Kerrigan, who is definitely not as grand in stature as the dream Kerrigan. I wrote down the Darkling has COVID. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love it. And Jenya can't get rid of COVID. Yeah. I just, I think it's hilarious because they filmed this like while lockdowns were still happening, right? And then they put in this plot with him having this unceasing cough. And I was like, <laughs> maybe, maybe they were living in the real world a little too much there. Oh, maybe, maybe. I do think it's interesting that she can't get rid of his scars. Like, I can understand not necessarily being able to heal the sickness since later they talk about how the sickness is from. Merzost. Merzost. But like the scars, I would expect her to be able to get rid of, and she can't even do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. See, now that, fuck, never mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I I can't say it. I, I, I understand. And then um, his shadow monsters are there. Nichievio? Nichivoya. Nichivoya. Mm-hmm. They are always with him in his darkness, um, which I guess explains why he just sits in a dark room all the time because he wants his shadow monsters I mean, to stay He has with to him. earn his name. Does he? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, also, he has to earn his drama, or, or maybe not earn, but you know, he has to wallow. Ah, yes. The villains usually do. I do feel like Jenya's change of heart here came about way too easily. And. Like, she's suddenly scared of the Darkling instead of on his side. I really liked it better in the book, her her change of heart against the Darkling, because it was really more about her friendship with Alina proving to be stronger than her loyalty to the Darkling. Mm. And, but they've sort of changed how it comes about here. So I get that they had to change that, but I just, I liked it better in the book. Yeah. she. I mean, she walked into the room kind of already afraid of him, but... Yeah, but like, Why? Yeah, we don't know. You know, like I get it just seems to have come from nowhere. Like at the end of season one, she was all in on the Darkling. And since then, some some non-Grishas have, uh, you know, put her in a cage. And then maybe the Darkling's scarier now, but he saved her. Mm-hmm. And then and he's promised to save David. If, and you he's know, promised to, to save David, but suddenly she's terrified. And from her demeanor anyways, it seems like she doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. And it, it feels to me like it kind of came out of nowhere. I, I like this scene. Don't get me wrong. I think this is a well-written, well-acted scene. The special effects are good. Everything's great. I just, I feel like it needed more somehow. Yeah, I think I have lots of thoughts in my head right now, and I'm trying to figure out how to bring that all together into mm-hmm. a cohesive conversation point. I can completely understand why... The shadow monsters, the Nichivoya, are terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I also see how being terrified of the creatures should not mean being terrified of Kerrigan, given yeah. how close she was to him. Given before. everything that I just listed, yeah. Yes, given everything that you just listed, um, being afraid of his creatures should not mean that she's afraid of him. However, this is a scene that definitely shows that Kerrigan has changed. Yeah, no, it's a great scene. I mean, there's no false face, no false niceties. 
he showed no sincere gratitude to Jenya. Yeah. Like, he said thank you. And at first I thought it was a sincere thank you because he Mm -hmm. said it so quietly as she's walking away. But then he's like, I'm going to make sure that you have a room in this wing. I want to keep you close. And I'm like, damn, you're an asshole, man. She's terrified of you. And you can see she's terrified. And you want to keep her next to you. Dude. It's all about Kerrigan. Like, this is Kerrigan's show now. Yeah. He's not even pretending it's not. And, and maybe she's seen that. And, and just one other thing. Like, if he, if we're supposed to think that he's, you know, gathering Grisha here at this, I don't know, random building that they're in, why, why not get a proper healer to look him over? Because that's, that's not what Jenya is. Right. I get, I get wanting her to look at the scars. She could do something good for that. Mm-hmm. But the sickness, why not? Why not get a proper healer? Like, Right. And even when, when she says that that's beyond what she can do, like he yells at her and the way that he yelled at her and got angry at her. And then the shadow monster came out too. Like that was another reason to like be, at least be wary of Kerrigan and start recognizing that this is not the same man that I've always thought he was. Maybe yeah. they're trying to shove all of that into one scene and they should have broken it up. That's what I think. So. I yeah. I feel like he's lost a lot of his rule by charm, and now he's just ruling by fear. Mm, yeah. He's got no charm left. Like, none. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Maybe they had to give it all to Sturmond. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just none left. There's for, just none left for, yeah. for good old Ben. Yeah. He doesn't need charm. He just has smoldering good looks. You and then should. we go back to Catterdam. <laughs> uh, yes, we do. Speaking of smoldering, Kaz is also wallowing. Oh or my God. Kaz is brooding. I'm so sorry. Because he's actually yeah. doing something, not just in a dark room. That's fair, but he is in a, a dark alley. And this is where he rips up the wanted sign. I knew it, it would is. happen. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so soon after calling out how stupid it is. Yeah. Loved it. Great choices show. I'm not even being sarcastic. That sounded sarcastic. No, it's good. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I also, I really like the flashback that we get here. Mm-hmm. Slowly, we're learning more about Kaz. Um, Kaz was a very happy child, which is the absolute opposite of how we know Kaz now. And um, a person who I can only assume is his brother, his older brother, mm-hmm. um, introduces him to a merchant supposedly named Jacob Hertzoon. And surprise, surprise, this is who we know as Pekka Rollins. Yep. And young Kaz says with a giant smile on his face that he feels lucky after meeting him. Yeah. And then we get the great poster teardown. So I don't know what any of that means. I still don't know. Like, okay, so obviously my theory last last episode was wrong. Peck is not actually his father mm-hmm. um, because he's just now meeting him as a, you know, a younger child. But Peck has clearly been very... In- influential in his life after this meeting so i i don't know what happens between now and or between that flashback and now right that that makes kaz go from a very happy child who feels lucky to be around this man to killing him isn't enough yeah like there's a whole lot of holes there that need to be filled in and are they gonna fill in all those holes this season um more or less okay the broad strokes, at least. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Um, I, I do it, feel like it's lost a lot of its impact from the way that it's revealed in the book. Because, of course, in a book, you don't see an actor, right? So you just see a guy named Jacob Herzoon. And then it's sort of, through the flashbacks, slowly revealed that, that oh, it is. Oh, that it's Pekka. Yeah. Mm, yeah, no, I can totally see how that would be more impactful. Yeah. Um, then Kaz approaches another club owner in the barrel about a business partnership and is turned down instantly. And this there is, is a... such an interesting choice to introduce Perhaskel and the Dregs here. Like, that's the name of Perhaskel's gang, the Dregs. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting because that's the name of one of the uh, alien fallen creatures that I shoot in Destiny, oh. the Dregs. Interesting. <laughs> this is this is like the Dregs at the bottom of a cup. Yeah. The bottom of the barrel, even. Yeah, bottom of the barrel. Um, so Perhaskel says something to Kaz that I think absolutely nails Kaz's character Mm -hmm. based on what I know right now. He says, fear in a small glass is instinct 
and you don't got no instinct, just a whole lot of anger and pride. And if I could only pick two words to describe Kaz, it would be angry and proud. I agree to a degree. That's certainly the only things he lets the world see. Right. Keep in mind, you know a lot more about him than I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he is also fiercely loyal to the people who are loyal to him. Although some of that is slipping a little bit this season in his, well, in this episode, I would say, in in his quest for vengeance against Pekka that we don't even know what's driving it yet. But anger and pride, like that's, that's Kaz to me right now. I definitely think that's what Kaz wants it to be. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Um, then we have Jesper and Inej in the restaurant. I love Jesper and Inej. Yeah, Jesper's got a couple of questions. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Yeah, I okay. loved it. Yeah, dude, the the delivery, his delivery, like his comedic timing is just it's so chef's good. Kiss, it's so good. He just um, he just is Jesper. Some of these people are so well cast; it's ridiculous. <laughs> but then we have Inej. Starting to question Kaz just a little bit here, but only to Jesper. Mm-hmm. She says, uh, like Jesper, they talked about him blowing up the Crow Club, and Inej says, makes you wonder what else he's willing to destroy. But then everybody else comes in, and the whole gang's together at Almost. a restaurant. The whole gang, as I know it, is together. I guess, yeah. <laughs> at a restaurant, which seems awfully public when three of them are wanted for not one but two murders. It does seem strange, especially since it's the middle of the day. I Maybe they figure they'll be looking for them Across at the night. street from Pekka Rollins' accountant? Like, what? Yeah. This, this was not smart, but it got this fabulous, fabulous scene for Nina. So. Yeah, Nina was so good. Love it. Not only do we get her love of food and waffles, we get the information that Kaz couldn't get. Like, it's true. It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, Nina's amazing. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Well, we move on to Hellgate. Oh, okay. I do want to say, I just love, I know it's only five of them, but I love seeing them all together. It just makes me happy. Mm. Oh, I did have another note about Wylan. Oh, okay. Uh, my note is, Wylan is adorable. Oh, he is. Because Jesper's yeah. all like, I want to know the plan. And Wyland tries to be all fierce. Yes, I, I, I too would like to know the plan, all stammering. So and then he crosses his arms like he's being super serious. And I'm like, this kid looks like he's 12, but I'm fairly certain he's had intimate relations with Jesper, so he's probably not 12. How old do you think the actor is? I mean, it's Hollywood, so if he looks 12, he's probably 30. Is that, what you're, is that your guess? I'll go 25. He's 27. It's wild. He just, he looks 10. He does. He absolutely does. He, he, I don't know what it is. He looks like an adult 10-year-old. I can't explain <laughs> it any better than that. Because he doesn't look like a child, but his his face did not age past, like, 15. Yeah, it's very much a baby face. Um, and just, I don't know, his manner, the way he, he puts his mannerisms together for Wylan, it's just, it's very, very young and innocent seeming. Mm-hmm. So, I like it. I like him so far. He's cute. He is. I hope I like we get more too. of him. We do. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. And then we move on to Hellgate, and we get to see what's going on with Matthias. My note here just says, Matthias is in jail. Makes a friend. Aww. I'm not sure we can trust his friend, because every other person that we've seen at this place has been seemingly horrific. But my note is, his cellmate seems nice enough. And um, I love seeing his turmoil. Uh, Okay, I don't love seeing his turmoil. I love that they show us his turmoil, right? Like, we kind of get to see all of his conflicts that are going on. Like, us knowing he's not even supposed to be there. And he's raging against it. And it's, I like it. And then we get to see Matthew seeing Nina and all of their love. And for a split second, I thought that he was seeing these things because he loves her. But it's because... His cellmate was telling him about how their God will certainly forgive you. And apparently he's thinking about the sins he committed with Nina. And he says, he could never forgive my sins. And that makes me very sad because Nina is thinking about them together because she loves him. And she's desperate to get him out and to see him, to let him know again that she did what she did to save his life. And he's just like, I hate her, but I love her because we had great sexy times together. But I hate her. <laughs> That's all. 
I actually find it difficult to feel bad for Matthias here, which is sort of the opposite. Look, I get that he's not actually a slaver, but he has not had an opportunity. And that like, look, Nina did maybe change his mind about Grisha, but he has brought Grisha back to Fierda to burn. And he would have done that same to Nina if the ship had not sank. And he has not, he has not yet had an opportunity to really prove that he has changed. And, and like, yes, prison has taken that opportunity away from him. And one could say Nina took that opportunity away from him, although he probably would have been dead otherwise. So it's not his fault that the opportunity was taken away from him, but this, but he has not proven himself to be a good man yet to me. He did with Nina for me. Right. But so I, I want him to have that opportunity. I I do too. I want to see that change. And I do too. But I think trying to get us to feel for him before he's shown us that I'm like, I don't, he was just as bad as a slaver. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I have a question for you in the books. Did you get to see more of Matthias as a Fjordan who burned Grisha witches or was it basically kind of what we saw in the show? It was what we saw in the show. Oh, okay. Okay. But you, hmm, the way that Six of Crows is told is that you meet everybody and then you get to see flashbacks to reveal more of their stories. So you don't know Nina and Matthias's, like how they met when you first meet them in the book. Everything that happened between them in season one, you see slowly revealed through flashbacks. So when you first meet him, he just hates Nina and also women kind of just because he was raised in like a very patriarchal society. Right, right, and, right. Um, and I mean, he also hates Kazala, but that's fair. <laughs> um, okay. And, and it's sort of slowly revealed that he, Nina started to change his mind on Grisha. But when you first meet him, he's just like, ugh, Grisha, devils. Mm. Okay. Well, that's giving me a lot more information about the Matthias I'll meet when I finally get to read Six of Crows. Yeah. And you don't, we don't really ever see his point of view in jail. Right. Okay. So that, that's why I think this was, and I get, you know what? Most book fans out there really like Matthias. I am very much in the minority. So most people disagree with me. Probably nobody is thinking about this. But for me, I'm like, you have not yet shown yourself to be a good dude. And from what we have seen of what you have done in your life, you kind of belong in prison, buddy. Yeah. I mean, we are spending a lot of time talking about Matthias when altogether over the course of these two episodes, he had, what, three minutes of screen time? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's fair. I guess he just gets my, my hackles up. Yeah. Or at least this this Matthias does. Yeah. yeah. He, he, right. I just want to say for everybody out there who loves Matthias, I, he has some really good stuff and some really good character stuff in the books. And I like where it all goes. We're just, just not there yet. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. All right, back to the ship. And we get to see the Volk Volni in all her glory. That's the name of the ship, sorry. The, what's it called? The Volk Volni. The Volk Volni. Okay. It's a pretty ship. And um, Manny won't understand this, but I love that you can see the hummingbird very clearly. It's so good. Didn't even notice a hummingbird, so. Okay. No, you, you wouldn't have. <laughs> all right. Um. We immediately find out that Elena and Mal are impressed by the mix of crew because it's both Grisha and not, or in their words, for both First Army and Second Army. Or Grisha and Atkazatia. Yeah. Um, and then Mal finally impresses Sturmhand uh, by being a tracker who's good enough to know where North is after he's been just, you know, sailing on a ship without being able to see land. Yeah. And it impressed him enough that he finally asks Mal's name. And he actually says it afterwards. He did. He did. It's great. And then Alina joins the twins, who they've still not told us are twins. We, they still haven't actually told us their names. Um, they don't mention them here at all? No. no. The closed captioning tells us that his name is Tolia. She calls him Tolia, okay. too. But they've never said her name, and I can't remember it based on our casting talks and the trailer. I think it might be Tamar? Yes. But they've not said it yet. But anyway, Alina joins them and the others for a card game. They kind of learn about each other. The twins are what Alina would call heart renders. Mm-hmm. And uh, surprise, surprise, there's another Durast here on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Since we had our conversation, I do notice that. Like, I don't know if now I'm just noticing it more. Or 
like maybe it does come up more this season. I don't know. I feel like it had to have come up in this first season since she's the one who has to put the do, scale, put the, put the scales, scales in her. And David did that with the stag. So mm-hmm. like David was one. So they had to have called David that in season one, right? They maybe just called him a fabricator. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I don't specifically remember it coming up or not. Yeah. Uh, I liked the scene. I mean, it's a lot of small talk, but it's Alina building rapport with these people. It's, and it's nice. It's a great small scene, honestly. Even um, like even just the actors playing cards with them, they're really good at what they do. They, you know, they look great. The costuming's great, and yeah, and it just felt like a good scene. And I loved even that, uh, like Tamar is helping uh, Alina with her cards, like telling her what to do. Like it was mm-hmm. just good. It just felt it felt like a real bit, a real. Yeah, um, I love that. I I don't know if they told us her name, the Durast like flat out says I'm intimidated with this giant smile yeah, on her face yeah. and she's like I've never played cards with a Ravkin Saint before like it's it's great it's nice um my my comment ba- basically is they're all much nicer than I expected given the introduction that we had to the twins yeah like that's... I expected them to be these like badass mercenaries and they're just like nice people out working with this dude who they like because he understands them and what they want yep that's that's what I've always enjoyed about Sturmhund's crew, he he gets their loyalty genuinely. Mm-hmm. Very, very different than the loyalty we see the Darkling get from his Grisha. Very different. Which makes the next scene starkly different. I did just want to quickly mention, for some stupid reason, I did not look up his name. Or It's the actor who plays Tolia. Uh, I think it's Louis Tan, actually. When he was cast, I was very doubtful that he could do Tolia. He, just based on what he's done previously... I, I didn't think he could bring any depth to Tolia, or I was doubtful or worried or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he does. He's fabulous the whole season. Um, and uh, uh, Anna Brophy, I think is Tamar's name, the actress. They're wonderful. I have zero complaints. They did them perfectly. Cool. Yeah. I like them. And there's this one really great scene with Tolia near the end. that like, Of the season? Near, of the season that has... No, not no bearing on the books in any way, shape, or form. But it made me like squeal with happiness. It was Aww, so good. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to get there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we go from this lighthearted, in the sun, like just fun scene to dark Kerrigan walking into another dark room with um, Vladim, who is an alchemy. And Kerrigan is an asshole here. Like, he specifically asks him, uh, like, he's he's talking to him. He's like, you didn't grow up in the little palace. And he's like, no, my village hid me so I could help them. He says, well, did you? Did you help them? And so he starts telling him, yes, here are the things that I did. And Kerrigan interrupts him and is like, I don't need your life story. I need your help. And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't like him. I mean, I love him, but I don't like him. Yeah. You and you and Jenya, huh? Um <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. This is so interesting to me, Vladim naming this character Vladim because Vladim is a character in the book, but he was a v- extremely different character. Oh, okay. Like he is I don't think this guy has any similarity. His story has no similarity uh, unless they're planning to do something with more with him late. I honestly don't even remember if he survives the season. Mm, okay. Um, so it's interesting that they've I mean, maybe they're just recycling a name, but mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and Vladim here is, well, Vladim and, and somebody we meet a little later in the episode are people who I feel they took inspiration from King of Scars to create. And if you've read King of Scars, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I haven't, so I don't. I do like that he says, like, that they might be able to fix the Darkling's Merzost problem with more Merzost. Because that's exactly how you fix all poisons, right? More more poison. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I like that Vladim was willing to be honest with him, though. Yeah. Like, that's that's a sign of good character to me for Vladim. Like, in this moment, he's like, if I can be honest, I think it's because you did this thing that everybody says we're not supposed to do. And then he follows it up with absolutely no judgment from me. You do you, boo. <laughs> Yeah, I want to exactly. try to help you, you know, and I kind of, I mean, 
maybe I should feel strongly against Vladim here because he wants to help Kerrigan, but he just came across as so utterly sincere that I enjoyed him. Yeah, I think it would be easier for me to be invested in characters like Vladim more if the Darkling was still being manipulative and charming. Mm. But he's he's not really. But Vladim yeah. is still like, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Merzost, was that the the science of creating new creatures with their magic? Yes. That, sorry, so, with their yeah. little science? So, no, no, no. Two different things. So, small science is them creating f- things from the world, from things around them. Merzost is creating from nothing. Okay. So, that was creating the fold was Merzost. Yes. Okay. So, why would creating the fold not afflict Kerrigan the same way creating these shadow monsters has? Um I don't know or is that what spoilers. I don't know what Netflix's question box address is, but you will have to address it <laughs> that question to them because I don't have an answer for you unfortunately. Okay. okay. I did like something that Kerrigan said here when Vladim offers to study the creatures to find out if there's a way to reverse it. Kirgan immediately speaks up and says, I don't want it reversed. He says, there is a cost always to making difficult choices. The key is making sure that cost is not regret. And yes. while the context of that line is not great, in principle, in general, it is, right? Yeah. Um, and I actually appreciated that in this moment, he is willing to keep the cost. Yes, I agree. And maybe that... That's a good moment where he is a little uh, charming, you know? Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't... For for Vladim in particular. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's charming me as well. Maybe. You do seem particularly susceptible <laughs> to the charms <laughs> of Ben Barnes. I am. I don't know why. I was watching this. Uh, and oh, everyone. Joseph... You know, everyone's a little susceptible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was watching this in the living room last night while Joseph was watching. So he was playing Destiny on the other TV, and he actually had his headphones off, and he was kind of in and out on the episode with me. Right. And at one point, I paused it, and I turned around and looked at him, and I was like, I need you to know something. If you ever listen to my podcast with Caitlin on this show, <laughs> you're just going to hear me talk about how beautiful Ben Barnes is all the time. And he just said, Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I warned I'm sure, him. <laughs> I'm sure he agrees. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Ben Barnes is everybody's type. Yeah. Anyway, back to your favorite place, Ketterdam. Yay. Really? Really? What? We're in Ketterdam now? I did not write a note about Ketterdam. Oh, it was quick. Oh, okay. Um, it, was, it was quick. This was Inej and Kaz on the roof. Oh. And Inej questions Kaz, and Kaz doesn't really... See, when Inej and Kaz are in a scene together, I'm not taking notes. I'm watching. Got it. Um, Inez had a great line here. Trust is the other side of secrecy, Kaz. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Trust is a huge theme in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we find out that Pekka is bringing in someone called the taxidermist to get Inej back to the menagerie so that Kaz will no longer have eyes in the city. What a creepy-ass name. Yeah, wait till you meet him. Because <laughs> he's creepy AF. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no, that was quick Ketter dancing. Then we're back to the ship. Yeah, and my, oh, my next symbol was Stormhund and Lena talking about her being a symbol. My next notes about, anyways, yeah. Yep. Um, this is another scene that's specifically about trust. Um, she comes in because she's mad that the ship has changed course. Um, but Stormhund immediately tells her why. And then asks, I don't know why you guys are, have picked this island. Can you tell me? And she won't tell him why. I don't mm-hmm. even know if she knows why he picked it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she does. But um, So then, then Sturmhan nails it. And he says, trust is a tricky needle to thread for both of us. And then they have this long conversation. And, and like the problem is you already act like somebody. You act like somebody who's already been betrayed. Because, of course, she was by Kirigan. Mm-hmm. And so that makes her kind of prickly to everybody. Um, I think that's kind of fair, though, after she was duped so hard by oh, him in season one, and now she's c- gone in the other direction. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite lines is is next, and, and he says, you're not just sunshine, sunshine. Yeah, that was good. 
It's it's so good. Love it. Um, and then they've arrived at the island. Uh, and they go. Well, he shows them all of his weapons and some inventions, and which is when he says uh, he says his line, and it was so good, and I was so glad that it was there, and it made me so happy. Um, which line was it? The my inventions are everywhere. If you just know where to look, line. When people say impossible, they usually mean improbable. Oh yeah, that's a good line. I'm guessing he said that in the book somewhere. A lot. A lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Got impossible, it. improbable thing comes Got up it. a good bit in the books. Okay. Okay. Um, and he nailed it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Good. Uh, and then Alina shocks everybody when she says she's not going to kill the sea whip. This is like the exact opposite of the previous scene where we're like, yeah, it makes sense that she would be so mistrusting and blah, 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 blah. Because that is the most naive thing she's ever said. <laughs> um, but you know what? She gets them on board with it. They agree that they're going to try to take it alive. Well, we assume they agree. Like they cut to the next scene and, you know, they're, they've got nets and shit and they end up having to abandon the nets. So... They agreed with her. Question. Mm-hmm. When they decide to get off the boat, why can Mal hear the frequency for where the sea whip is? The same frequency he heard with the stag. Did they address this in season one? Or is it that everybody can hear it and he just knows what it is because he was tracking the stag? Can I rephrase your question? Sure. Like, I'm going to ask you the same question, but in a di- with different words. Okay. Caitlin, can you please tell me the ending of the series? <laughs> <laughs> So what you're saying is I'm asking really good questions that you can't answer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I will leave it alone for now. Good. Okay. Then we cut back to Kerrigan and some new character, I think, who's named Frushi. Oh, I, I have watched a whole season involving this person. I have no fucking idea what her name is. I've called her Crazy Tide Maker the whole time. That works because I only caught it the second time around because of close captioning. Okay. Um, when he 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 met her and he said he said hi to her or however he said it he said her name and then I was like the way they were talking confused the crap out of me because they were so familiar with one another that it made me think this is somebody I should remember from season one and I'm like there's no way this person was in season one. She's not in season one. I think it's. I, I want to know her secret because she appears to be living in the middle of nowhere in the woods, but has the most intense red lipstick. Right. That never is out of place or smudged or anything. And like uh, her eyeliner also <laughs> really intense. <laughs> but again, she appears to be living by a pond in the woods. With a pretty great waterfall. Well, a prison. Well, yeah. She has been uh, keeping Kerrigan's mother hostage. Begra, yeah. So, um, another character Bagra, they get that's right. her name. Yeah, just they get her so correct. It's really good. Yeah, they're also being timey-wimey again because she says, you've kept me in this hellhole for weeks. So has it been weeks since the events of season one? Has it been weeks since he returned and found her and put her in prison? Has she been in prison this whole time? Like, I don't know, and it is not clear. It's timey-wimey. We don't see her after... Um... Alina runs away from the little palace in season one. So I would assume she's been locked up since then for helping her escape. So it's only been weeks. Yes. For him at this point. Okay. That's what I would guess. Okay. Uh, Back to Alina. They're in a cave. They are. This thing is much smaller than I expected it to be. It's much smaller than it was in the book. Ah, uh, Okay. I, I wouldn't have expected it to fit in a cave based on how they talked about it. Yeah, I'm going to go with this was a money and time situation. Okay. Which is fair. It, I For the most part, I think this scene still works. I mean, and to be fair, the killing of Rosalia was kind of anticlimactic in the book also. Like it oh, happens okay. very early on in Siege and Storm when you were going into it kind of expecting that was what the plot was going to be. But then it just happens and you're like, oh. When the, what, what's happening in this book? I don't know. I mean, clearly that's what I was expecting too, right? Based on my question last week. Yeah. So I was watching this and I was like, huh, well, I guess I guess this isn't the plot of the whole season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, we killed it. So so that feeling is also very much in the book, which I, I kind of like. It, you know, undermines uh, expectations there. Good, good, good. Um, But yeah, no, it's way smaller in the show. And 
I would I would presume they kept it in a dark cave. So that's easier. Mm, yeah. My I was go ahead. But, oh, so just I had no problems with any of that. That makes sense. I'd I'd rather them spend their money and time elsewhere anyways. But I did not enjoy how Alina killed it cuz she had like no emotions after her whole scene about wanting to make uh wanting to keep it alive. And at 100% I get, you know, she had to kill it cuz it was going to eat Mal. But like no regret, no sadness, no like you just killed a mythical beast. We just move on. She had nothing. Yeah. I don't know. I wish they'd given her a reaction, at least some sadness. It was, it was, she had that emotion in the book. She was yeah. very upset that she had to kill it. Yeah. I, I expected her to be very upset the way that she was with the stag when the stag died. Yeah. But they didn't give, they cut away. They didn't give us that opportunity. And I'm wondering if they tried to do that a little bit with her reaction to seeing the sea whip's last moments with the scales. Or if that's something else, but we can talk about that when we get to the end. Um, yeah. It, or maybe, you know what, maybe they filmed her having emotions and it just didn't work, so they cut it. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm still sad it wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, then we go back to Ketterdam. Before we move on. Okay. Or, or like, get, but yes, this is about Ketterdam. I did want to dis- some, discuss something I meant to bring up last episode, but I forgot. Ooh. The actress who plays Nina. She does Nina perfectly. But I still wish they hadn't cast her. She's great. She's wonderful. But she is very skinny. And Nina is a plus size character. And they give her these puffy clothes to draw your eyes away from it. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. It's so clear, actually, in this first scene, um, that they have padded her clothing. Yeah. Um, because it is definitely not natural the way that she, when she bends over to pick up the guard after she heart him into unconsciousness. Yeah. Um, to drag him inside, like butts don't make dresses look like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just I w- like again. I like how she plays Nina. I like how they've written Nina. I hate that they cast a skinny actress for Nina. It's terrible. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, so yeah, Nina's here. She's spending her last moments before going to work, remembering her sad, sad last meeting with Matthias. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she is immediately able to turn it on, like the scene where she needs to go to the bathroom because she can't. She's been thrown out of the the pub. It's fantastic. It's great. Yeah, she's she's a wonderful actress. I will say, I enjoy every time she's on screen. Um, and then Inej gets Kazin. We find out Wylan and Jesper are tailing Pekka's driver. And... I do love tiny, tiny little Inej holding up the rope with Kaz. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do get, like, you had asked me last week what I thought Wyland meant when he got cut off and he was, like, going to say something like, oh, we, we have met before or something like that. Right. And so we have this whole, like, running thread in the next few scenes between Wyland and Jesper. And mm-hmm. so here is the first time Jesper seriously asks, have we met before? But then goes into this whole other tirade and... Wyland's face when Jesper calls him a total stranger. I know. Um, like, I don't even know what happened between them yet. Like, I have no idea. Like, like I said earlier, I believe they've had intimate relations, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if that is it, then this face is heartbreaking. Like, the fact that Jesper has forgotten him is heartbreaking. Um, that's all I have to say about that right now. Yeah, his face. That's very sad. Um, and then we find out that everything's a trap. Yeah. Peck is in the room with Kaz. Jesper and Wyland have been following a decoy, and this Mogan's dude, a.k.a. the taxidermist, is creepy AF. Yeah, he does such a good job. Dude, when he does catch her, like, I can't stand it. Like, he smells her, he cuts her, you hear the bones cracking in her hand. I can't. Like, it's awful. And he's just enjoying it so much. I do like Inej getting a good fight scene, though. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. She never gave up. And yeah. she still managed to get away. And <laughs> then we cut back to <laughs> Jesper and Mylan getting all shot up. And they've ended up on the ground underneath the carriage. Mm-hmm. And Jesper's on top. And he looks at Wyland. Wait, we have met before, haven't we? You brought me stroopwaffles. 
<laughs> and Wyland's like, you remembered that now? While they're getting shot up. It's fantastic. And then it's after that that Jesper has his like superhero slow-mo gun moment, right? Gunslinger. Oh, moment. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. That was so good. I don't so even care good. that Rosalia was small and disappointing. If they spent their money on that scene, that was the correct mm-hmm. choice. Oh, 100%. I loved it. Um, against that big old machine gun. Yeah. Right? And he's yeah, just like, so good. nah, I got this. And he never even, he never even considers that he wouldn't win. Yeah. His confidence and his little grin, his outfit, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Yeah. And then we get to see Nina kick some ass in the hallway. This is what I thought your favorite scene was. Ah, it's, it's good. Um... If we're talking non-dialogue scenes, absolutely. Yeah. And not just like when she comes in and heart renders, but like afterwards when she actually gets to punch some people and Oh yeah, and no, like, she, like physically the takes these and, dudes yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um she gets shot in the process, but she's still okay. She can heal herself. She can. Loved it. Yep. It's good. I, I also enjoyed it. I, like, yeah. I love that they haven't forgotten that Nina was like a trained soldier and spy. Mm-hmm. So she could take these guys down. I wonder if Nina's even told Kaz and them about that or if she's just like, I'm a heart render and you need a heart render and I need something from you. So let's deal. Yeah, I don't know. Then Alina gets amplified. And she puts on a bit of a light show. Oh, I have my note here is Alina in pirate gear. Again, very hot. <laughs> it is. It is. It is very hot. This is where you know, she gets the scales imbued. Mm-hmm. And but with both of them, she sees the last thing that that the sea whip saw which yeah. was mal because it was going after mal but her reaction in that moment was kind of weird the way that she stopped and looked at mal in a i don't like you kind of way oh i thought it was like a why way because in the in the visions mal was kind of lit up like it was attracting the sea whip and so i thought she was looking at mal like what the heck what's happening Okay, I watched this episode twice, and I did not see that. He was he was kind of like the sea whip twice, just goes straight for Mal. Huh. Okay, that makes her reaction make more sense because uh, I swear to God, I did not see that. Uh, or if it was there, I just assumed it was part of the the waviness and the the texture of the vision, mm. and so I didn't see it as something important to note. But that makes sense. Okay. All right. And then we have a quick cut scene to Kerrigan, who is trying. I don't actually know what he's trying to do. It looks like he's trying to cauterize the area where the antler was. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But like my note just says the darkling's being dramatic. Right. But like he just barely touches it. Like it's not bleeding or anything. It doesn't need to be cauterized. So I don't know why he would even do that. I thought maybe he was going to like poke it out, which would have been. But the antler's already been poked out. She did that in season one. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, so that should just be like a scar that can't heal. Ooh, um, like a hole. But it's not. Yeah, it's clearly not a hole. Yeah, I know. But it, I mean, it's clearly not a hole. There's something physical there. It just looks like blackened flesh to me. Maybe it's and some he, like Merzosti meant like he brought some of the fold with him. Maybe that's where the, the uh, Nichivoya live. In his hole. <laughs> in his hole? <laughs> So, yeah, they they very much make it seem like these two events are happening at the same time. And I don't know if they are or not. But, like, when he touches that area on his hand, like, it immediately starts to shoot, send, like, light through his arm, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, and I assume that's because he had some part of Elena, Elena, Alina in him because they were connected through that spot on his hand. Um, but this is also where he recognizes that she's still alive. So suddenly he's feeling a part of her as she's putting on this big light show with two amplifiers, right? Yeah. It's it's very weird. And I I don't know. Um, also unclear to me is, is the reason she's not controlling her light show here, is it because she can't or she doesn't want to? Because know, she, she doesn't hear Sturmhans shouting at her trying to get her to stop Mal shouting at her trying to get her to stop and she's not paying attention to anybody and it didn't look like it was an out of control thing because she was very happy in her power in that moment Mm -hmm. but she didn't stop until Mal made his way to her and like folded her into a hug and then they start making out (laughs) 
Well, making out in quotes because it's a very boring kiss with no chemistry. But, you know, that's that's when she stopped. So I didn't understand kind of what they were trying to tell us in that moment. I I don't either, really. Because so if you recall in the book, uh, the, the physical connection between Alina and the Darkling did not exist. Mm. The, the connection was just that he killed the stag and then gave her the amplifier so he could control her magic. He, there was no part of the stag like put into his hand. Got it. Okay. So even afterwards, they still had the connection because there was nothing to stab out, right? So I, I, I don't know why he picked up the poker at first, but afterwards I just assumed that he was feeling that she got the second amplifier, that she was more powerful now. I could be wrong. That's just, I don't, it was a very strange scene. It was. And then, and then Alina going, yeah, no, I don't know. That that didn't happen in the book. I, I assume the show just wanted us to show that she was powerful or more powerful. Okay. Well, I mean, they did a good job of that for sure. Yeah. She never put on a, a show that big, even when she was connected to Kirigan. So maybe it was a little bit of both. Like she started because she just wanted to, do it on purpose and sort of kind of feel a it. can't stop, won't stop kind of way. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. And then, of course, they end the episode with Kerrigan very creepily calling her my Alina. <laughs> Not yep. to be confused with my Sharona. <laughs> well, oh, come I, on. You were thinking it too, right? I honestly wasn't <laughs> because, well, because I, I just forgot about that song. Um, but it, it was funny because we just had that scene between Kaz and Pekka where Kaz says, my club, and then Pekka says, my wraith. Oh, yeah. And now we get my Alina. <laughs> and it, I don't know. It was just funny. Okay. I thought it was creepy. Well, yes, that too. Because again, he needs all the drama. The way they shot that scene, though, like, like looking at his face from below while he's kind of sneering oh. at the camera we were in the hi alina <laughs> oh my god <laughs> caitlin <laughs> oh man <Sorry. laughs> yeah no it was all very dramatic i i honestly i hope to god that some of his scenes are more lit up in in the rest of the season because like i was trying to watch this in the afternoon and so all of our blinds were open and we had to close the blinds so i could see <laughs> what was happening on the tv it was so dark uh, i'm a darkness person so I, I watched it in my cave got it although it has been sunny here the last two days and ugh, no one likes that i love sunny days I hate oh yeah everyone days. but me likes that it, i mean i don't want to go outside in the sun i just want to see the sun episode mvp sturm hunt because he was so very sturm hunt this episode he had his probable impossible line not remembering Mal's name was so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was fabulous. I'm going to, I don't remember, I'm going to assume that what Nina had on her plate was waffles. I would make that assumption food. also, yeah. Um, and so I'm going to say waffles because Nina had waffles and her getting up to go get the waffles and talk to the waitress is what gave them the information to get into the building. Mm-hmm. But also, Stroop waffles are a kind of waffle and Jesper and Wyland have enjoyed mm-hmm. Stroop waffles. So it's just, it's got to be waffles for me. That's fair. I, I understand. And it is very strange for me to pick a shadow and bone thing and you to pick a crow's thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it is. Right. <laughs> but the cr- the crows are where my heart is this season. Like The crows I'm, are always where my heart is, but also Sturm Hunt. I'm, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was watching this episode and trying to figure out, like, why I'm not super interested in Alina's story right now. And last season, I was all about Alina. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because last season, we were learning and growing with Alina. Like, we Mm -hmm. were with her while she was going through her becoming a superhero phase, right? And that is something that is always going to appeal to me. But she's not an underdog anymore. But the crows very much still are. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm so interested in them And we have... And we, they are giving us really good character stuff with them. Oh, absolutely. We got all the character stuff about Alina last year. We got all the flashbacks with Alina and Mal's relationship last year. Like, we know what we need to know about who Alina is. Mm-hmm. 
And we still don't have all of that information on the crows. And now we're getting it. So there's still the underdog. There's still the under, there's still like, we're still learning who they are. And we're still becoming emotionally invested in them. And so that's, that's where my heart is this season. I, if, if Sturmhund wasn't there, I would 100% agree. But because he is, I only like 90% agree. Okay. Okay. So it'll be fun when we read the books because at least I'll have Sturmhund since I won't have the rest of the crows. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, even know what, like, listeners, I, since I've watched the whole season now, we are, after it's done, going to do Siege and Storm and Rune and Rising, obviously, because they, they do both this season and kind of neither, whatever. Um, But I don't know if we're going to do Six of Crows because they've done so much character stuff from Six of Crows but they have done zero plot from Six of Crows. So I don't... So, so let us know. Do you want us to do Six of Crows, the book, before or like right away or after we do? It, I don't know, man. At least so... Because they've, they've done no plot stuff, mm-hmm. I would be willing to wait a little bit longer to see if they're going to get their spinoff because then right. I would assume their spinoff would do the plot stuff. And if they're going to do the spinoff, then I shouldn't read them. So here's the thing. The last episode sets up the plot of Six of Crows. Sort of. Mostly. <laughs> okay. It's, they've changed so much it's, it's difficult to say. So I don't I don't see why they even need a spinoff. Why wouldn't they just, since they finished the Shadow and Bone books, why wouldn't they just make season three of Shadow and Bone? Like, instead of having Alina be the main character with these Crows side characters, have the Crows be the main characters with Alina stuff in on the side. I don't Maybe oh, it's just too much. Because the, and they want to do more like just crows because there's like six of them to deal with, then mm-hmm. plus all the shadow and bone characters. I can understand that. That makes sense. Hmm. I guess let's have this conversation again after I've seen the entire season. Yeah, I guess. But if anybody listening has an opinion, I also maybe just really want you to read Six of Crows because it's <laughs> one of my favorite books ever. So maybe I'm kind right. of pushing for it. Sure, mm. that makes sense too. Yeah. We shall see. But I guess that wraps up this. So you can tweet at us at EnterTheFoldPod or email us at EnterTheFoldPod at gmail.com. Again, Mandy doesn't check either of those. So say whatever you want to say. I'm Caitlin. You can follow me on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. Or if you just want to see what books I'm reading, you can follow me on Instagram at InferiorCateReads. And I am Mandy Kay, and you can find me out on the Fediverse. I am at Mandy Kay at Mastodon.social. And remember, when people say impossible, they usually mean improbable. Unless you're Mao, because then he very clearly said, not me. <laughs> <laughs>